0: to him he said in a parable a sower went out to sow his seed and as he sowed some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it and some fell on the rock and as it grew up it withered away because it had no moisture and some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it and some fell into good soil And grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he cried out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, Jesus said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for giving it to us and preserving it for us through the ages so we can have it this morning. And this morning, our Lord Jesus, you've called us to take care how we hear. And so I pray that even now, as we come to the preaching of the word, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would be at work in the hearts of your people that you would thus provide good soil. We pray Lord that your word would become alive to us. Father that we would strive to live according to it. Help your people, O oh God. Father, I pray that you would help me as well. Protect me from error. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable unto you. O oh God, you are our rock and our redeemer. And we entrust these things to you in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. There's a a story told about Franklin Roosevelt and the long receiving lines that he often endured while he occupied the White House. Regularly, he would complain to his staff that no one really paid any attention to what was said during those exchanges of handshakes. So one day... During a reception, maybe he was feeling a bit honry, he decided to try an experiment. To each person who passed down the line and shook his hand, he would murmur these words, "I murdered my grandmother this morning." <laughs> well, just as he predicted, the guests responded to him one by one with phrases like, "Marvelous. Keep up the great work, Mr. President. God bless you, Mr. Roosevelt." and we're proud of you, sir. Obviously, these people were not truly listening. In fact, it was not until the very end of the line while greeting the ambassador from Bolivia that his words were actually heard. The ambassador stopped for a moment and is totally bewildered, like, what? What did you just say? He leans over and he whispers in his ear, I'm sure she had it coming, sir. This story, as fun as it is, it illustrates something for us. It illustrates the importance of listening. It also underscores what I believe is at the heart of what Jesus is teaching in our passage this morning. It's a a key phrase found in verse 18. You can look down there. Jesus says, take care then how you hear. Take care then how you hear. Literally, this phrase is translated, look then at your hearing. Or even more bluntly, look at your ears. Look at your ears. Now that's quite interesting, isn't it? Look at your ears. How can one look at their ears unless one looks at his reflection, right? Maybe looking in something reflective like a mirror. How can one see his hearing? when he cannot see the words travel through the air from their source, the source of the sound to his ears or even see inside his ear to see how those sounds are processed. Now, admittedly, when we consider such a literal understanding, and that's why it's translated the way it is, uh, but when we consider that literal understanding, it seems a bit absurd. But I still share it with you because it helps us grasp the heart of the point that Jesus is making, and it's this. What you do with his word really matters. What you do with God's word really matters. You either hear it, that is, you hear the sounds physically, or you listen to it. That is, you take it to heart and put it into practice. We all know the difference between hearing and listening, right? I hear members of my household say all kinds of things but they know I really heard it when I do what they asked me to do, right? When I listened, you either hear it or you listen to it. All types of people hear God's word. But what Jesus is getting at is that only those who are careful in how they hear, only those who have ears to hear will live by it. And to make this point, Jesus tells his followers a parable. A parable I know that most of you here have heard before. This wasn't the first time likely that you heard this parable. In fact, so common is it that it's called the parable of parables. You might know it by other names, parable of the sower, parable of the seed, parable of the soils, maybe. I mean, it really is a marquee parable. It appears in all three, what we call synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's in Matthew 13, it's in Mark 4, and it's here in Luke 8. And its prominence comes from the fact, not just in how many times it occurs, but in the fact that Jesus actually uses this parable to teach why he uses parables. Hence why they call it the parable of parables. You see, we tend to think of parables as something just like illustrations, that parables are mere illustrations, literary devices that make it easier for us to understand truths about the kingdom of God. But here's something I want you to see that's clear in the text today is that sometimes Jesus actually uses parables to prevent people from understanding such truths. The stories might be easy enough to follow, but their meaning is much harder to discern. Look again at verse 10. He makes it very clear there. I'll read it. To you, speaking to the disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables. And here he quotes from Isaiah 6, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. To his disciples, to those who had been given to him by his father, to them, Jesus, by his spirit, grants spiritual understanding. We might say, as we say today, he gave them spiritual eyes. But to some, to some, Jesus has not given this gift. Not everyone is let in on the secrets of the kingdom of God. You see, according to the mysterious sovereign will of God, some people are given to understand and some people are not. Understanding the parables requires spiritual discernment, which only comes from the Holy Spirit. Thus, parables have different effects on different people. They teach truth to the people who believe in Jesus by faith, those given those new ears, and they deliberately harden unbelievers in their unbelief. That's tough to hear, isn't it? But that's what Jesus says. That's how Jesus uses the parables. They're not just mere illustrations. Right? They're given to, yes, shed light on the kingdom of God, but they're also given in parables so that people who don't have eyes to see or ears to hear won't understand and thus further hardened in their hearts. So Jesus takes this parable right before us to teach this very truth. He illustrates it, and I say a very profound way. So let's begin with Jesus's own explanation of this parable. This is great because he explains it, right? He tells us exactly what it means in verses 11 through 15. And we just read it together. So if you're taking notes this morning, I only have two points, and they are not clever at all, okay? The first point is the parable explained. How about that, right? And the second point we'll get to later is the parable applied. We're gonna keep it simple this morning, right? The parable's tough enough, we'll keep the points easy. The parable explained. According to Jesus in verse 11, he makes it very clear that the seed is the word of God. And from reason, we can deduce that the one sowing the seed is who? It's Jesus himself. And I think we could also apply it to any other teacher or preacher who comes after him who's teaching the word of God or even preaching the word of God. Now, this parable for the original hearers, the ones who are sitting there listening to him, the picture being painted would have been clear enough to them. You know, Just as someone carries a bag of seed over their shoulder and takes seed in his or her hand and scatters it on the ground of the field. So a person who teaches the word of God is seen in the same way, taking the word and scattering it as those before him. And now you all picture me doing that, right? just taking words and throwing them at you. That's kind of what's happening. Right, we're teaching God's word and teaching it to whatever soil or whoever soil is before us. And just as a seed will fall on different parts of the field, because it does, if you've ever thrown seed like that, some of it falls out of the bag, some of it goes where you don't want it to go. We don't need to get into the, the hows and whys or why didn't they do this before they did that. That's not the point. The point is that the seed falls on all kinds of, of soil, So the word of God, even this morning, even in this place, right here, right now, will fall on different types of ears and different types of hearts. In verses 12 through 15, Jesus explains these different types of ears and different types of hearts. He gives three bad ones and one good one. Three bad ones and one good one. Let's start with the three bad ones. Let's look at the three bad soils. First in verse 12, you have the seed that falls along the path and gets trampled underfoot. This soil can be called hard and indifferent, right? Hard and indifferent soil. Soil that represents those, Jesus says, you've heard the word, but the devil has come and taken it away from their hearts so that they may not believe And be saved. You see, in Jesus's day, these footpaths that people used cut right through the middle of the fields, and inevitably, when you're sowing the seeds, some of it would fall on these footpaths, right, that are hard and trampled down. And beyond that, people are walking over it all the time, and so they're just crushing that seed. And the birds are like, "Hey, I can get there. I'll go and get that seed and eat that seed." So you picture it as just being stepped on, eaten uh, by birds, hungry birds that come by. And Jesus is saying that the same thing happens when the word of God falls on the ears of a hardened sinner. It never penetrates the mind. It never touches the conscience. It never enters the heart. It seems to just this, I don't know where I learned this, but I say it and my mom always said it. And I'm sure many of you here say it. It goes in one ear and right out the other. It's just an empty tunnel, just whoop goes right through. Such a heart, Jesus' is teaching, is not prepared to receive God's word. Before the word has a chance to do any spiritual good, what happens? The devil swoops down like an angry bird to snatch it away. And this is important because this explains why some people can hear the gospel over and over and over and never respond to it. In fact, even start getting mean about it. The problem doesn't lie in the word itself or in the way the word is presented. Well, <laughs> I can't say that with enough emphasis, can I? We always worry it's something that we're doing wrong, right? It's, it's, it's the way it's, pre- we need to change the way we present it or maybe we need to change it itself. No, the word of God is true and God has shown us how to present his word. The problem is not there. Where's the problem? The problem lies in the heart of the one who is hearing. It's a problem with the ears. The second kind of bad soil is that which is, we'll call shallow and superficial. If you look at verse 13, Jesus says that this is the rocky soil and it represents, quote, those who when they hear the word receive it with joy. They're happy to hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing, Jesus says they fall away. Now this would have made a lot of sense To the farmers of the day, it was a common problem uh, for them. In many places, they had only a few inches, if that, of good soil to work with before they reached bedrock. We talked about that before about building our house, right? On the solid rock, Jesus used this example before. So if you happen to put some seed on this type of soil, a plant might begin to grow very rapidly. It looks good, right? This is gonna work, but it wouldn't survive. The soil's not deep enough to properly provide nourishment for that plant so it would wither and die. Well, the point here is clear. Uh, The same thing happens when some people hear the word of God. At first, they're happy to hear it and they readily respond to it. The word even appears to give them life, but the word is never properly rooted in their heart. So something happens shortly thereafter. Trouble comes, as Jesus says, and what happens? They quickly fall away from faith. They may have thought that all their problems had been solved. I mean, I've certainly heard the gospel presented this way, even to me when I was an unbeliever. Come to Jesus and all your problems will be, will be figured out. Come to Jesus and everything's gonna be just fine. All you gotta do is pray this prayer. You know, walk this aisle, pray this prayer, take a dip in the bath, right? And then you can go right on out the back door and everything's gonna be just fine. Right? That's presented many times. But the reality is that life is hard, even for Christians. And the devil likes to uh, come after new believers. He likes to direct his spiritual attack there, at least people who've made professions. And so what happens? They make their decision for Jesus, but they don't persevere. They don't continue in the faith beyond that beginning experience. There might be true joy and true excitement that springs up from those professions, that's not the measure. The measure, as Eugene Peterson, I think, puts it very well. He says, what matters is the long obedience in the same direction. The long obedience in the same direction. And what he means is the faithful following of Jesus day after day after day, by his grace and by the empowerment of his spirit that proves our faith to be genuine. Well, the third kind of bad soil is that which becomes preoccupied and distracted. It's not always just troubles. Um, Jesus says in verse 14 that this is the thorny area where those who hear go on their way and they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. Every person who's ever tended to a garden, and that doesn't include me, I've tried, but I wouldn't call it tending to a garden. So whether it's in Jesus's day or our own, you've seen this happen. It happened to mine more often than probably yours, but that's a problem with me. Um, What happens? Weeds, right? Weeds are there. And for some reason, weeds always tend to grow faster than the plant you want to grow, right? Weeds always grow faster. They grow so much faster than the plants. And if you're not careful, what happens? the weeds can take over the plant. They can take over the whole garden. They starve the plants of nutrients and sunlight and they keep them from producing any good fruit. So I don't know how many times I've celebrated a a good thing, some vegetable that grew, but boy, was it pretty puny. And boy, was it not as good as it could have been. It might be some type of fruit or vegetable, but it's not really very good. So there might be an appearance of it, but it's not true. The same thing can happen spiritually. This is what Jesus is using this parable to teach. In fact, Jesus mentions three thorns or weeds that can choke off spiritual growth. He mentions cares or troubles, literally, uh, riches and pleasures. Uh, you see, people can become so easily preoccupied with the things of this world that they allow those things to choke off the things of God. They, they make a profession. They, they start to follow Jesus. They seem to be on the right track, but then these other things enter in. And boy, they're always there. And they begin to choke off true faith. It reminds me of kudzu. Nobody said bless you, so you might know what kudzu is. Kudzu is an invasive vine uh, that was imported from Japan to the U.S., uh, in the late 1800s, it was marketed as an ornamental plant that you could use to shade your porch. But as people begun to plant it and not tend to it right, things got out of hand. You can't even drive through the southeast. You can't drive through the southeast now without finding kudzu growing everywhere and on everything. Right, some experts uh, says that kudzu covers 7 million acres of the Southeast in the summer. That's crazy. And guess what? It costs power companies each about $1.5 million a year to repair the damage that kudzu does to power lines. So for those of you who have been in the Southeast in the summer, or you've lived in the Southeast like I have, you know this stuff is everywhere. Not there. It's a little over 100 years ago. And now it's taking over, taking over the entire Southeast. But this happened gradually, even though quickly. It happened gradually, not overnight. It's the same with cares, our troubles. It's the same with riches and pleasures of this world. Slowly but surely, when our hearts are more preoccupied with these things, our heart is in danger of turning completely. And holy away from the Lord. It is in danger of being entirely unfruitful. That's Jesus' point. These are the bad soils. This is where the word of God goes. The word of God goes out to all, right? Anyone with ears, right? It goes out. Soils that represent ears and hearts where the word of God does not flourish, those are the bad soils. Soils where the world, the flesh, and the devil, and I find it interesting. I think Paul picked up on that in Ephesians 2, 3, and 4, when he talked about how we used to walk, right, before God saved us, right? And that's why I think this points to ultimately unbelievers, but it also has application to believers, right? But this is the world and the flesh and the devil himself prevent the word from producing the righteousness that God requires. Do you have to go far? to see examples of this today. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably seen all three. You've probably seen the hardness of heart to the word of God. It might be a beloved family member or friend that you've shared the gospel with time and time and time again, and they are always indifferent and perhaps even hostile. You've probably seen enthusiastic professions from people And you're like, oh man, look at this one. They are on fire for the Lord. And the moment something happens, they turn away from the faith altogether. And you've seen those, I know, because we've seen it, who gradually fall away as they fail to bear fruit for Christ. As they give themselves over to the things of the world and fall more in love with the world and prove perhaps that they're not following Christ at all, I don't know how I can utter those words without tears in my eyes. It is painful. This is a painful part of ministry, but listen, it's a painful part of life. It's a painful part of being a friend to people. It's a painful part of being a parent to children who have turned away. It's a painful part of the Christian life. And thankfully, Jesus tells us this is how it will be. And this is the result. And this is how it will work. And so that leads us to that fourth soil, right? Where's the good news? Because sometimes good soil looks like bad soil, right? Sometimes. Well, he gets to it in verse 15. And I'm gonna go ahead and start our second point for those of you taking notes here. It's kind of a transition between one and two, but um, that's the parable applied. Because here, Jesus not only explains for us in verse 15, the good soil, but I think he, he goes further here and Luke also goes further and shows how that good soil produces good fruit in two very clear applications. The first one's in verses 16 through 18 and the second application is in verses 19 through 21. But let's start where Jesus explains the good soil in verse 15. Like seed that falls into rich and nutrient ground. So, the word of God that falls into receptive hearts bears much spiritual fruit. Jesus, Jesus even explains to us what a receptive heart looks like. He tells us this is what the receptive heart looks like. He says, It is one that holds fast to the word in goodness and honesty and with patience or endurance. You see, being careful how you hear the word of God includes earnestness, a a sincere desire to receive it. It includes sincerity, right? Not just a show, but an earnest, sincere desire to hear it. And it includes patience along obedience in the same direction, which is the direction toward Christ. You see, being careful how you hear the word includes these things, you earnestly long to receive the word. You, you order your lives around the truth of the word and you endure in this life according to the word. When you do that, Jesus says, you will bear much fruit for the kingdom. This doesn't mean that we're free from the attacks of sin and flesh and the devil, but it does mean that we will overcome them. The good soil will overcome, not by our works, but by the persevering grace and power of Jesus, right? Our faith will last. We will indeed inherit eternal life. Isn't that what he said in John 10? Those whom the father gives to me, no one can take them out of my hand. And in fact, the father who's greater than I, know one can snatch them from his hand. You are secure in the hand of your Lord. And Jesus brings this truth home. He gives two direct applications. We believe that Jesus oversees the inspiration of his word, including what Luke gives in this account. But let's look at the first one, the first application. I mentioned there's two direct applications. The first is in another parable found in verses 16 through 18. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. We'll read 16 through 18 together. Jesus says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. I think it's fair to call this application use it or lose it, okay? Use it or lose it. What I mean is that we must, as good soil, make good use of the truths that we have been given from scripture. We must not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. I like how Philip Ryken explains this in his commentary on Luke. And I'm just gonna read it to you. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage, but bear with me. He says, we make use of the law by confessing our sins. And we make use of the gospel by trusting in Jesus Christ. We make use of the doctrine of election by living with humility, remembering that there is nothing in us to deserve God's grace. We make use of the doctrine of justification by living free from any attempt to improve our standing with God, resting instead on the finished work of Jesus. He continues, We make use of the doctrine of sanctification by growing in practical holiness, learning to live with the love, purity, and generosity that Jesus showed us by his own example. We make use of the doctrine of perseverance by remaining steadfast under trial. And then he ends by saying, we make use of the doctrine of glorification by waiting in hope for Christ's return. We use the word. We put it to work in our lives. You see, just as one lights a lamp to use it, So we use the word of God as light for our lives. Thy word, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. That's how we come to God's word. Whenever we hear his word, we are called to believe it and to obey it. And when we fill our lives, our ears, our minds, and our hearts, when we fill ourselves with God's word, then we will grow more and more and more and we will produce more and more and more fruit. Not so we can say, look at me. But we do it so we can say, look at Jesus. <laughs> look how great he is. It's for his glory and it's the good of his kingdom. So let me ask you this since we're on the application portion. How are you putting God's word to work in your life? As good soil how are you putting God's work, word excuse me, to work in your life? I'm reminded of a, the story of a city man uh, who decided to buy a dairy farm and he knew nothing about being a dairy farmer, but he had a lot of good milk producing cows and he started running into some problem where the cows weren't producing as much milk as he wanted them to. And so he went to the, the local feed store and bought some feed and uh, started feeding it to the cows and still nothing is happening. So he's mad. He goes back to the feed store and he says, hey, Something's wrong with your feed. Something's wrong because these cows aren't producing enough milk for me. And so the guy asked, oh, you know, I doubt it's a feed, but tell me about what you're doing every day. He asked him a series of questions. He finally gets to the question where he says, are you milking the cows every day? Uh, well, well, yeah, I mean, anytime I need a glass of milk or anytime I need a little bit of milk for the cereal, I go ahead and go get some milk. And he's like, that's not what I asked. Are you actually milking every cow every day? Oh no, I figured what's not being used, they'll just store up and use for later. Some of you are smiling because you know that's absolutely absurd, right? If you want them to produce, you have to stimulate the cow to continue to produce milk, right? This is Even I know that, and I'm the last thing from a farmer, okay? And so that's the point. Use it or lose it. Put God's word to work in your life, right? Come and hear the preaching of the word. Sit under the teaching of God's word. Read God's word. Pray God's word. Live God's word. Order your life around God's word and what it says and you will produce fruit for the kingdom and you will also experience assurance because you'll hear the word of God speaking to you, telling you that you belong to me. God will remind you that you belong to him. I need to hear that. I know you need to hear it as well. The second application is found in this account that Luke tells in verses 19 through 21. Look there with me. Then Jesus's mother and his brothers came to him but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, when you first read this, you're tempted probably like me to think that this narrative interrupts the whole flow of thought. But I think verse 21 makes it clear that it belongs as continuing application. And I really believe that's why Luke, inspired by the Spirit, includes it here. Notice Jesus says, my, and I'll paraphrase here, my family, verse 21, look what it says, are those who what? Hear the word of God and do it. I mean, there's no doubt that Jesus loves his earthly family. He's certainly not disparaging them at this moment. I think what this account shows us is that his relationship with them is sometimes strained by who he is, by his identity as the son of God and his calling to be the savior of the elect. Have we not seen this already? Remember, as he stayed there in Jerusalem uh, after the Passover, he was teaching in the temple. (laughs) Mom and dad are like, where's Jesus, right? whereas yet they found him there. We've seen this already, and guess what? We'll see it again uh, in the gospel accounts. So we'll dive into a little more of that side of it uh, as we see this in other accounts. But the focus, I think, and why it's included here, is not his relationship with them or for what reason they're trying to get to him. Rather, the focus is on clearly what Jesus says, right? The focus is on what it means to belong to the most important family in the world, the family of God. Right, The truth is that many who hear the word and truly believe find themselves at odds with who? Their earthly families. Perhaps it's some choice that you make. Perhaps it's even as some of my friends in West Africa, it's just the choice of being a follower of Jesus puts them at odds with their whole community. Perhaps your choice to follow Jesus is to put you at odds with your family right? Perhaps some decision you've made or some event that you refuse to go to or something like that has created strain with family and even with the world that you live in. Perhaps these things have happened and you find yourself even at odds with your family. Look, I've experienced this in my own earthly family and it causes grief and it causes hardship. I know many of you know that, but it doesn't diminish the truth that when Christians come together, they are family. Look around you, you're family. your family, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And there is no higher privilege and no greater blessing than to belong to the family of God. That's one of the grand themes of the whole Bible. And it's one of the greatest hopes of the soul. So, I think the application here is clear. Don't forsake your heavenly family. Don't forsake the family of God. Don't forsake gathering together and feasting together on His Word. And don't forsake fellowship with one another, because it's the fellowship with your heavenly family that nourishes the soil of our hearts and helps us to grow together in faith and in godliness. Jesus made it very clear. Here in this text, be careful how you hear. Look at your ears. Look at your ears. So what do we do besides these applications? We receive his word with receptive hearts. We hold fast to the word in goodness and honesty and with patience. We love God's word and we commit ourselves to God's word and the family that it creates. I'm not Jesus, but I'll repeat what he has said. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. Amen and amen.